Heavenly Fathers, we continue our study through the book of Joshua this morning. We ask that, Lord, uh, just as Joshua led the Israelites, we pray, Lord, that you would lead us, that you would give us understanding of this chapter that we're going to go through this morning, and that, Lord, not only would you give us understanding, but help us to apply it to our lives, that our lives might be enriched, and our walk with you might be strengthened as a result. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, then, so we're continuing through the... Uh, book of Joshua and we're up to Joshua chapter 3 we're doing the whole chapter this morning and uh, I wonder whether I could ask uh, Amos would you be kind enough to read the chapter for us please then Joshua rose early in the morning and he and all the sons of Israel set out from Shittim and came to the Jordan and they lodged there before they crossed and at the end of three days the officers went through the midst of the camp and they commanded the people saying when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God with the Levitical priests carrying it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. However, there shall be between you and at a distance of 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, but know the way by which you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow you will do wonders so the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua spoke to the priests, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over ahead of the people. So that they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went ahead of the people. Joshua, this day I will begin to exist of all Israel, that they may know that as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. You shall, moreover, command the priests to recount the covenant, saying, when you come to the edge of the waters of the Jordan, stand still in the Jordan. Joshua said to the sons of Israel, Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God you, and that he will assuredly from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Gergesites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Before the Ark of the Covenant, all the earth is crossing over into Jordan. Now then, take for yourselves twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one man for each tribe, and it shall come about when the sole of the feet of the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of the, all the earth, will rest in the waters of the Jordan. Then the waters of the Jordan will be cut off, and the waters which are flowing down from above will stand in one heap. So the people set out from their tents to cross the Jordan, carrying the Ark of the Covenant before And when those who carried the Ark came into the Jordan, and the feet of the priests carrying the Ark into the water, for the Jordan overflows its banks all the days of its harvest, the waters which flowed from above stood and rose up in one heap. Distance away. At Adam, the sea was beside Zarathan, and the waters flowing down towards the sea of the Araba, the salt sea, were completely off. So the people crossed opposite Jericho, and the priests who carried the Ark Covenant of the Lord stood firm on the dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, while all Israel crossed on the dry ground until all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan. Thank you. Thank you very much, Amos. 
So the story so far, just to refresh our memories, Moses had led Israel for 40 years. He had uh, led them out of slavery to Egypt. He delivered to them the law and he had led them through the wilderness. But now Moses was dead and God had commissioned Joshua to be the new leader of Israel. God had commanded Joshua to lead Israel into the promised land. And this was so that Israel could come into the inheritance promised to Abraham over 600 years before. That Israel would come into the fullness of God's, of God's blessing for their lives. Uh, as Moses said in Deuteronomy 6 verse 23, Then he brought us out from there, i.e. Egypt, that he might bring us in to give us the land of which he swore to our fathers. God brought Israel out of Egypt that he brought them, might bring them in to a place uh, into the promised land, into a place of fullness of blessing. And that's exactly what God does in our lives. He takes us out of slavery to the world, not just that we might be free from the world, but that we might take us into the fullness of blessing in Christ. He wants to give us all the riches that are available to us in Christ. And as Israel marched forwards towards their inheritance, so Canaan marched forward toward judgment. God had held back judgment uh, the judgment of God uh, from Canaan for, for long enough and they'd had an opportunity to repent. But now Canaan marched forward towards judgment. But God did hold back the judgment of God specifically for one person, Rahab. Rahab will be saved from the judgment by relying upon a single scarlet cord which she will tie to the window of her house which is on the wall. And that a similar type of uh, star scarlet cord would be bound around the scapegoat. And that scapegoat took the sins of the people of Israel and uh, that scapegoat was cast into the wilderness to die. A picture of Jesus taking our sins upon himself and dying for us. And so it was that Rahab was saved by faith. Rahab was saved by relying on that which is a, really a picture of Jesus dying for our sin. And Rahab is a picture of the degree that the Lord will go to, to save one individual. God will go to the nth degree to, grave one, to save one person. That is how much he loves us. There is always grace before judgment. That is a firm principle found within scripture. And Rahab said in Joshua 2 verse 9, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. And Rahab knew that the Lord had given the land to Israel and the Canaanites had known for at least 40 years judgment was coming. The fear of Israel had fallen on the people, but sadly contrition and repentance had not fallen upon the people. They had at least 40 years to repent, but they had not. That 40 years was a period of grace. And as we see, judgment, when it comes, comes swiftly. But there is a slow build up to that judgment giving plenty of opportunity for people to repent. Such is the grace and the mercy of God. Now, uh, moving forward, uh, in Joshua 2, we saw the faith of one individual, namely Rahab. But in Joshua chapters 3 and 4, we're going to see the faith of an entire nation being demonstrated. The faith of an entire uh, nation. Rahab's faith called her to stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. She had to stay where she was. But Israel's faith will call for them to be forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. The faith of Israel will cause them 
to move forward. And really the theme of the book of Joshua is pressing into the fullness of what God has for you. Unbelief says, no, let's go back to where it's safe. But faith says, no, let's go forward to where God is working. And God wants us to be a people of faith, to press forward, to move forward to where God is working, to come into all that God has for us. Now, I just want to show you the um, structure of chapters three and four so that uh, you've got an understanding of its working. So this is our talk this morning, Joshua and Israel across the Jordan, chapter three. But really, chapters three and four work together. And initially, I wanted to do chapters three and four uh, all as one talk, but I just couldn't manage it. And uh, you're probably relieved as well. But uh, yeah, you see that uh, in Joshua chapter three, verses one to 13, we have the word of faith at work. Then when we get to Joshua 3 verses 14 to 17, we have the, work, the walk of faith at work. And then when we get to the entirety of jo Joshua chapter 4, we see the witness of faith. And that is the structure of this morning's talk and uh, next talk as well. But under that uh, first heading, the word of faith, there are um, five subheadings. And we see that there are five separate words of faith that are spoken in chapter three. The first is uh, the officers to the people. The second word of faith is from Joshua to the people. The third word of faith is spoken from Joshua to the priests. The fourth word of faith is uh, from the Lord to Joshua. And then the fifth word of faith is Joshua to the people once more. And you can see the scriptural reference there on the screen. I'll leave those there for you just for a few moments so that um, you can uh, have a look at those. OK. So let's start off with that first word of faith, uh, which comes from the officers uh, to the people. This is Joshua's three verses one to four. Then Joshua rose early in the morning and they set out from Shittim and came to the Jordan. He and all the children of Israel and lodged there before they crossed over. So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about two thousand cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before." So the officers of the people spoke that first word of faith to follow the Ark of the Covenant and the priests carrying it, but keep your distance. Now, Joshua and the children of Israel were camped at a place called Shittim. Some translations might have the word Acacia Grove. That's because there were Acacia trees there. And that's what Shittim means. It was a nice place to, to, to stay. Um, and we don't know exactly how many Israelites were there, but there were certainly... Um, between two and three million. Uh, some people estimate 2.4 million. No one could be absolutely certain. But it wasn't just the people that were there. There were all their tents and their possessions. There were all their cattle and the noise and the smell that comes with uh, cattle. And of course, in the midst of the camp, there was the tabernacle. And in the midst of the tabernacle was the Ark of the Covenant. And 
That Ark of the Covenant, of course, is a, a, a box overlaid with gold. It had a lid on top with two angels facing each other. That lid was called the mercy seat. And inside were the two stone tablets that um, uh, Moses brought down from Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments on. Uh, it had the pot of manna and it had the budding rod of Aaron. But more specifically, what this Ark of the Covenant was, is it represented the presence of God. That was the significance of it. And um, you're going to find that the Ark of the Covenant goes first. And so people are following the presence of God. Now it was from Shittim that Joshua dispatched the two spies secretly. And it was from there that Israel broke camp early morning and went to the east of the Jordan River, which is between a seven and ten mile hike. And, you know, it's no small thing moving that number of people, possessions and cattle. And uh, the children of Israel camped by the Jordan three days having arrived. And we know from verse 15 of the chapter that it was flood season, which means that the river was swollen and the river had overflowed the banks and the river was flowing faster than usual. Um, different commentators debate about how wide the river was at this point. One commentator said it was up to one mile wide. I don't know how true that is, but certainly it would have been flying a lot faster and it would have been somewhat insurmountable. And so you see, for three days, Israel sat there facing the insurmountable odds of a fast flowing, swollen river. Um, two spies might be able to get across, but how are you gonna get over two million people to get across? How do you get the young children across? How do I get my herd of goats over? How do we get these cows and sheep over? How do I get this cart of possessions over? How do I get my grandma over? It's a lot easier said than done. And it's at this point you realise it's not so much about the destination, it's about the journey. And it's a journey that's going to require faith. You see, it's not about where God is taking you always. It's about how God is taking you. Those lessons that God is teaching you en route. Those character traits that God is trying to instill in you as he takes you towards that destination. Our destination is heaven. Our destination is the presence of God. But God wants us to be focused upon that work of sanctification in our lives at this moment in time. The process of growing in faith. And the process that God will take Israel through in crossing the Jordan will have a life-changing effect on their lives. It will cement in their minds God's choice of Joshua as leader. It will cement in their minds God's presence with them and God's leading of them. It will <coughs> establish in them firmly God's ability to overcome the impossible. And of course, it will instill a faith within them that God will be able to defeat the enemies in the land of Canaan. Now every day the Lord is leading you forward in your walk with him. From a place of comfort like Shittim to a place of challenge, namely the Jordan. And every day you will face an insurmountable odds. It might not be a raging torrent of a river, but God might be calling you to witness to somebody and you think, I can't do that, that's beyond me. Or it might be the end of the day 
and you're tired and you just want to relax, but God's calling you to pray and it feels like an insurmountable odd. Or it might be that we're in a church meeting and God lays a scripture or a thought or a word upon your heart to share. And you think, I can't share. That's, that's not my, my job to do that. That's somebody else that does that. It requires faith to be able to overcome the insurmountable odd. But God is always trying to move us forward, away from our security and comforts, to a place of greater reliance upon him. Every day you need to put your faith in him to see you through. I was reminded of uh, Mark nine twenty three, where Jesus encounters uh, a boy who was possessed by a demon. And as far as the father was concerned, it was an impossible situation. How were we going to overcome this situation with my son? And Jesus said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. It looked impossible to overcome this river, but all things are possible to him who believes. Now, technical support to the British Army is provided by the Royal Engineers. If you need a bridge, uh, they come along and they, with their bridge building and trackway equipment, and they enable the British Army to cross water. Joshua did not send for the Royal Engineers. There was no crack squad ready to build an amphibious bridge. There was no military presence to lead the people. Who did Joshua send? Joshua sent the priests. Instead of a bridge, they carried the Ark of the Covenant, and instead of a military presence, they took the visible presence of the Lord in the Ark. Now at this time, Aaron had died, and the role of high priest had fallen to his son, Eleazar, and Eleazar had oversight of the carriage of the Ark of the Covenant. And uh, specifically, it was the sons of Kohath, the Kohathites, who were responsible for carrying the Ark. And uh, what they would do is they would cover the ark in a special covering so nobody could see it. And they would put poles either side for the Kohathites, for the priests, to be able to carry the ark. And we see that the crossing of the Jordan was not an engineering problem. It was a spiritual problem. Crossing the Jordan was not an engineering problem. It was a spiritual problem. And when we encounter problems in our life, especially if they are seemingly insurmountable you will be tempted to first use your human engineering to overcome them to somehow deal with them in your own strength and wisdom if it's insurmountable you need to think stop recognize that it is a spiritual problem that god is trying to teach you something and you should operate as a priest and seek the presence of god just like joshua did first commit the problem into god's hands and let him guide you in that scenario. Now, in this day and age, uh, we are experiencing social distancing, but we see that it's nothing new. It was experienced in the days of Joshua as well. There was to be 2,000 cubits between the ark and the children of Israel, social distancing. Now, a cubit is about half a metre, just under. And so 2,000 cubits equates to about a kilometre or just over half a mile. And uh, the Israelites were used to this distance from God, uh, from the presence of God. We read in Numbers 2, verse 2, Numbers 2, 2, Everyone of the children of Israel shall camp of his own standard beside the emblems of his father's house. They shall camp some distance from the tabernacle of meeting. 
So when they were stationary in camp, the children of Israel had to be some distance from the tabernacle, from the presence of God. And in Numbers 10, verse 33, we read, So they departed from the mountain of the Lord on a journey of three days, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them for three days' journey to search out a resting place for them. So the idea of the ark going ahead was nothing new, and there being distance between the ark and the people was nothing new. But there was two reasons why the ark had to be so far ahead. One was for focus. We read there that they may... Um, that, uh, that you may know the way by which you must go. So it being such a large number of people, the ark needed to be a suitable distance ahead so everybody could see the ark and see where it was going so they knew exactly where to follow. And the second reason was uh, for, for the, the, the distance from the ark is because to show respect to uh, the holy nature of the ark and of the Lord whose presence it represents. Israel would only be able to overcome the insurmountable if their focus was on the Ark of the Covenant, if their focus was on the presence of God. And as God leads you forward, and as God leads Calvary Chapel Maystone forward, we will only be able to progress safely and successfully if our focus is on the presence of the Lord. Paul said in 1 Timothy 6 verse 16, the Lord is dwelling in unapproachable light. And the Lord said to Moses, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. That's Exodus 33 verse 20. The Lord is awesome and mighty. And when a prophet was given a vision of the throne room of God, he fell to the floor as if dead. Such was the holiness and the brilliance of God's presence. And that reverence for God was born of his awesome and fearful being. And it was reflected in that distance Israel were to keep from the ark. No one was allowed to see it. It was either in the Holy of Holies or under a covering when it was being carried. No one was able to touch it. Poles were placed in it in loops to carry it. And only specific consecrated priests were allowed to be near it. The awe of God, I think, so often has been lost in the body of Christ. And I think a sign of a deeper walk with Christ is that deeper reverence for God has returned to the individual. That sense that God is an awesome God and we approach him fearfully and respectfully. Interestingly, Hebrews 4 verse 16 says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in times of need. When Jesus died, was buried and uh, rose again, he removed that distance between God and men and he now bids us draw near. God doesn't want there to be that same social distancing as there was back in the day of Joshua today. He wants us to draw near. James 4 verse 8 says, Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. It is only those who have been washed clean of their sins and operate by faith in Jesus Christ, can enjoy the intimacy of coming into the Lord's presence. There was distance in the day of Joshua. There doesn't need to be distance today. Hallelujah. So that was the first word of faith. The second word of faith came from Joshua to the people, and that's in verse 5. 
And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Sanctify or consecrate yourselves. So Joshua spoke the second word of faith to the people that they were to sanctify themselves because God was going to perform wonders. And uh, embarking on crossing the Jordan, whether you'll be a priest or if you are an Israelite, was a step of faith. And you cannot move out in faith if you are not first consecrated to the Lord. And Joshua commands the people to sanctify yourselves. Now, what does it mean to sanctify yourself? What does that look like in reality? Well, based upon other occasions when Israel were called to sanctify themselves, it probably uh, called for them to wash their bodies, called for them to wash their clothes, and probably abstain from sexual relations. And uh, I would probably suspect no contact with a dead body as well, for them to be completely uh, clean. Really what it is, it's an outward act to prepare a person inwardly. That's what consecration or sanctification is, an outward act to prepare a person inwardly. And they were to dedicate themselves to the Lord and they were to put themselves in a place where they were ready to operate in faith. Now, it's not necessary today for us to wash our body and our clothes in such quite, quite the same way, but God still wants us to be dedicated inwardly God still wants us to be sanctified on the inside. And we sanctify ourselves by confessing our sin and coming to Calvary for cleansing. We sanctify ourselves by washing ourselves in the water of his word. And we sanctify ourselves by dedicating ourselves to the Lord. Certainly when um, it comes to preparing a sermon, the first thing I do is come before the Lord in prayer. I confess my sin. I make sure I'm in a position of right standing before him. I spend some time meditating upon the word, that I'm washed in that water of the word, so that I'm completely dedicated, ready for that study. And when it comes to a church meeting, we should be sanctifying ourselves before coming to that church meeting so that we don't create an impediment to the move of the Holy Spirit in that meeting. And... On a day-by-day -day basis, we should come to the Lord to be sanctified so that we can go out into our working day ready and equipped to be able to serve him in faith. The third word of faith that marks chapter 3 is found in verse 6. It's Joshua message, Joshua's message to the priests. And we read there, Then Joshua spoke to the priests, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over before the people. So they went, took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. Joshua gives very clear instructions to the priests uh, and it is a word of faith. From faith is nothing if it is not borne out in what you do. Faith is nothing if, it's not, uh, if it is not borne out in what you do. Billy Graham said, faith that saves has one distinguishing quality. Saving faith is a faith that produces obedience. Faith that saves has one distinguishing quality. Saving faith is a faith that produces obedience. And here we see the faith of Joshua and the faith of the priests in action. A faith that produces obedience. Joshua, Joshua issues a command in faith that they take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross before the people. And the priests obey in faith. They took up the Ark of the Covenant and did as Joshua said. As I said before, the priests had the responsibility of carrying the Ark. But the priest had to get their feet wet before God withdrew the water of the River Jordan. 
the priests had to stand in the middle of the riverbed until all the people had uh, passed by. And only when, only when the priests reached the west bank of the Jordan would the waters return over the River Jordan. And it took faith and courage for the priests to do their job. And they operated in faith and obedience to the word of God that was given to them through Joshua. Now let's be clear, Joshua is not operating from his reasoning, but by faith in the Lord's guidance. We know that Joshua heard the Lord through the reading of his Bible. He had been directed in Joshua chapter 1 verse 8 to read his Bible every day. So he heard direction from there. And we know that he heard directly from the Lord as well. Now how clear that direction and guidance was, we don't know. However, it is an impressive step of faith on Joshua's part to issue the commands he did. Because if you think about it, his entire leadership depended upon whether he was right or not. The confidence of between two to three million Jews depended upon him hearing from the Lord right. And the foundation from which the uh, campaign to uh, conquer the promised land all hinged upon what jo Joshua said and that Joshua had heard from the Lord correctly. One word spoken in presumption would be calamitous. If the river did not part, the entire nation would be crushed. Joshua's leadership would be in jeopardy. The faith to enter the promised land would dry up and the victorious stand of faith against the enemy would disintegrate. Joshua had to be absolutely certain that what he was saying was a word from the Lord. And then he spoke that word in faith because everything hinged upon it. One act of faith can change the course of an entire nation. We should not undermine the effect of one singular act of faith in our lives. God is constantly calling us to make steps of faith and it can have a revolutionary effect upon our service to God. The fourth word of faith comes from the Lord uh, by way of message to Joshua and we read that in verses 7 and 8 where it says, And the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to magnify you in the sight of all Israel. They may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. You shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you have come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you, sh you shall stand in the Jordan. So the Lord spoke the fourth word of faith to Joshua, a word that will establish Joshua as leader in the, in their sight, in the people's sight, and a word that will establish Joshua's authority as coming from God. And we know that everyone aged 20 and above at the crossing of the Red Sea had perished in the wilderness, with the exception of Caleb and Joshua. The living memory of the miracle of the Red Sea crossing had more or less died with those people who had died. This was a new generation and a new act of faith was required. When Moses led Israel through the Red Sea, he was magnified in the sight of Israel and Israel recognised Moses as God's servant. When Joshua leads Israel through the Jordan River, he will be magnified in the sight of Israel and Israel will recognise Joshua as God's servant. Now this is not an ego trip because for a people to function effectively for the Lord, they must have confidence in their leadership and they must recognise that the leadership authority comes from God. In 1 Corinthians 10 verse 2 we read, 
all were baptised into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Israel were baptised into Moses as they passed through the Red Sea. Now that word baptise means to be fully immersed, but it also means to be fully identified. And we see that Israel was fully identified with Moses when they passed through the Red Sea. In a similar way, Israel will be fully identified with Joshua through passing through uh, the Jordan River. And of course, in a similar way, we are fully identified with Jesus when we pass through the waters of baptism. The fifth word of faith um, we see in verses 9 to 13. So Joshua said to the children of Israel, Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will drive out, uh, sorry, without fail, drive out from before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore take for yourselves twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one man from every tribe. And it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. For the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off, the waters that shall come down from upstream, and they shall stand as a heap. Joshua spoke that fifth word of faith to the people. And that word of faith would prepare the people for what lay ahead, both in the short term, by way of crossing the river, and in the long term, by way of the campaign in Canaan. Joshua had shared the word to the priest, now he shares to the people. And in doing this, he doesn't magnify himself, he magnifies the Lord. He magnifies the Lord uh, uh, with regard to who he is, what he can and will do. And this is a sign of true spiritual leadership. True spiritual leadership focuses the mind of the people on the Lord, who he is, what he can and will do. Any leadership that magnifies themselves is not operating as true spiritual leadership. The God that Joshua exalts is not an inert idol to whom you offer sacrifice and pay mere lip service. He is the true and living God who has the ultimate authority over all nations and people. And that's why Joshua can assert that God will not only drive back the waters of the Jordan, God will also drive back the people of the land. The one miracle of driving back the waters of the Jordan will give the faith to the people of Israel that God will perform a second miracle by driving back the people of the land. And faith is something that accumulates as you move forward in your walk with God. As you see God operate in one area of your life, so it increases your faith to deal with the next area of your life. And as I said, the faith generated by crossing the Jordan will generate a new faith to conquer the land. We read there in verse 12 uh, that uh, 12 men were to be set aside, one from each of the 12 tribes. Now let's remember that there were in fact 13 tribes because the tribe of Joseph had been split into the half-tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh. So when it talks about 12 men, it would have meant a leader from each of the tribes, with the exception of the tribe of Levi, who were the priests. Now we don't know why these 12 men were set aside at this point. But later on we'll see in chapter 4 
that these 12 men will be called to pick up a rock from the riverbed, carry it to the other side of the Jordan and build a memorial uh, at Gilgal, a witness of faith. But what's interesting to me is that God set aside these men before the full nature of their ministry was revealed. They had to be set apart even though they didn't know what they were going to be doing yet. And quite often God sets aside men before the full nature of their ministry is explained. God prepares a man before the full extent of, their, of his ministry is revealed. I knew many, many years before Calvary Chapel Maidstone that God was calling me to be a pastor. But I had no notion, no idea of Calvary Chapel Maidstone whatsoever. God reveals, uh, God prepares the person before he, uh, long before the ministry comes to fruition often. And when you feel God's hand working in your life, when God is taking you through trial and test, it's to prepare you, even if you don't know what that ministry is yet going to be. So that, that was the, uh, the words of faith that were spoken to the people of Israel. And uh, the second part of the chapter, the last part of the chapter, is the walk of faith. But we see how many words of faith needed to be fed in to the people of Israel. How they needed to be built up in their faith before they would have the confidence to step out in faith, to walk in faith. Five words of faith have been spoken to Israel, but faith is dead unless it is accompanied by works. Faith needs to be accompanied by obedience to be proven. Martin Luther said, The true living faith, which the Holy Spirit instills into the heart, simply cannot be idle. Faith cannot be idle, it needs to have action. Charles Spurgeon said, believing and obeying always runs side by side. Believing and obeying always runs side by side. And Augustus Montague Toplady, who wrote, uh, who wrote Rock of Ages, said, if God gives you St Paul's faith, you will soon have St James's work. Five words of faith had been spoken to Israel, but faith is dead unless it is accompanied by works. And the Jordan had burst its banks. Some say, as I said, it could have been as much as a mile wide. And as the priest stepped out in faith, so the Lord held back the waters to reveal dry ground. And then Israel embarked on that walk of faith. The miracle of God was seen in response to the faith of Israel put into action. If you want to see a miracle of God in your life, you need to put your faith into action. You need to walk in obedience to that faith. We don't step out in faith and get our feet wet. We won't progress in our walk with Christ. Now, there is a great variety in people's makeup. Some people operate by way of reason. I think we can get across this river. Some people operate by way of feeling. I feel we can make it. Some people operate by way of sight. I want to get to that place. But we need to learn to operate by faith. God is calling and I will answer. That's what faith says. Habakkuk 2 verse 4 says, The just shall live by his faith. And as we grow in grace, we trust less of our own means of operation. We trust less upon our reason and our feeling and our sight. And we rely more upon God. We operate more by faith. And we read there 
in uh, verse 14, certainly in my translation, so it was when the people set out from the camp to cross over the Jordan. So it was. We almost don't need any other words. So it was. This is all we need to know. As God had told Joshua, as Joshua had commanded the people, so it was. The faith of the people of the priests and of Joshua was vindicated. Now the Red Sea crossing can be read about in Exodus 14. Ian did a talk upon it not so long ago. You can find it on the church website. And in that crossing, Moses extended his staff across the Red Sea and the waters parted by means of a strong east wind all that night. It took the length of the night for the waters to separate uh, in the Red Sea before Israel could cross through. Things were slightly different with the Jordan River crossing. It was not from the uh, obedient arm of a leader that triggered the parting of the Jordan. It was the obedient feet of the priests that triggered the parting of the Jordan. They stepped into the river. Now, unless we are willing to step out in faith and obedience to God's word, the Lord will not open the way for us. We read there in uh, verses 16 and 17, The waters which came down from upstream stood still and rose in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zeratan, and all Israel crossed on dry ground. So just as in the Red Sea crossing, Israel walked on dry ground, so in the Jordan River crossing, Israel walks on dry ground. But with the Red Sea, there was a wall of water either side, so there was a narrow crossing through which the people of Israel went through. But in the Jordan River, the water was dammed far away, so there was a much wider bed, a dry riverbed for people to cross over on. Now we know that the water was dammed up at this place called Adam. We don't know the precise site or location of this city, Adam, but we are told it was beside Zaratan. And this, I am told, was about 30 miles upstream. So the children of Israel probably, probably didn't see the dammed water. They probably didn't see the uh, city of Adam. What the children of Israel did see was Jericho ahead of them and that the swelling torrent ceased and uh, a wide, uh, dry riverbed before them. Wellies were not needed. Sandals would be sufficient. But nevertheless, what an awesome sight and experience this must have been. Now, I found myself thinking about um, this walling up of the rivers, 30 miles upstream, Plyzeratan. If you can imagine, the water would have continued flowing and the water would have started churning up as it mounted up at Zeratan. We don't quite know what it would look like. But as the water churns up, it would have stirred up the mud and the silt and the clay from underground and possibly thrown it to other sides. So what you'd expect to find at Zeratan are big mounds of clay and silt. And what's interesting is if you were to turn to 1 Kings chapter 7, we're talking about, uh, it talks about Solomon building the temple. And uh, what they did was they cast the bronze implements in moulds of clay. And those moulds of clay in which the bronze was cast were built at Zaratan. There were great mounds of clay at Zaratan from which they were able to mould um, the implements for the temple. And I just wonder whether it was as a result of this water mounting up there at the Jordan crossing that created these great clay mounds at Zaratan. 
We don't know how long the priests were standing in the water before the water had drained into the Dead Sea and before the riverbed had supernaturally dried. It could be a few minutes, could have been a few hours, we're not sure. But there was a period of waiting, nevertheless. And God can speak and we can obey, but it's not unusual for there to be a period of waiting until the fruit appears. And we need to learn to be patient and we need to learn to wait for God to do the work that he has promised to perform. The Kohathites carried the ark into the middle of the riverbed and stood there. One by one, the tribes of Israel crossed over from east to west, their children, their cattle, their possessions with them. The faith of Israel inspired them to follow the Lord across the Jordan. Now they were in the land of inheritance. And now we see that their faith had matured as a result of crossing. It only goes for me to say, where do you stand today? Do you stand in the relative comfort of Shittim in Acacia Groves? Or do you stand on the banks of Jordan facing insurmountable odds? Do you hear the call to operate in faith? Are you walking in faith and obedience? Do you want to grow and mature and come into a land of inheritance in blessing and the fullness of God? If so, then you need to put that faith into effect and take a step forward and trust in the Lord. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for that which we've seen in chapter 3 this morning. And I pray, Lord, that you'd make us as individuals, but also as a church, a group of people that operate in faith, that walk forth in obedience to what you have commanded, so that, Lord, we come into the fullness of all that you have for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.